a lot of hockey pundits have already talked about this. Um, we probably thought of it first before they did, just saying, but they've talked about it before us. But no longer. We're talking about it. We're talking about the California teams this week, how they're doing, if their current records are sustainable, and if they can ride a string of good luck into the postseason. Episode 295 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. The California teams, in my opinion, weren't expected to do much, but they have done some things, some positive things to start the season. So, Brett, uh, let's talk about it. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I I kind of had, I think I, I wasn't bold enough to actually predict it on my own. Uh, but I, I think I, I did say that, like, I thought that at least one of the three ca- California teams was going to make the playoffs. I wasn't sure which one, and I don't think I actually, when we ended up doing the predictions, I don't think I deserve credit, because I don't think I, I think I had, like, I think I d- did end up doing Edmonton, Vegas, and, um, Seattle. Um, and then, um... So, so I, di- I never actually, like, said, like, oh, yeah, California team is going on. Um, and also, personally, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but um, I'm kind of a bandwagon Ducks fan. Uh, this, this started when uh, Trevor Zegers uh, made his debut last year, and I decided to just watch their games. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I like Maxime Comtois. I like Ricard Raquel. I like John Gibson. Let's let's just you know I don't. There's no law that I have to be a fan of just one team in the league. Let's let, let me be Ducks fans. It's it's also kind of cool to like you know root for a team that I know is going to be bad, and you can kind of like root for them as they grow up. But I have to be honest. I didn't expect this run out of the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, there was one point that they they did have a. Um, I believe it was like a 16 game, not 16 game, a nine game win streak, um, which is, uh, which is pretty insane. Um, and, and no one, no one really expected that. Um, and we'll talk about Troy Terry and, uh, Ryan Getzlav and all that stuff, uh, pretty soon. But, um, but yeah, it's what, what I find most impressive is the fact that they've been doing this. Um, without Ricard Raquel really in, um, he played a couple of the first couple of games. They uh, Maxime Comtois is getting surgery. Uh, Comtois was their best player last year, um, and it's just it's just incredible that they've been able to um, do this without without those two guys. And I did mention Trevor Zegers, and I like him a lot, love him a lot, um, and he did have those uh, four goals in two games. But for the most part, he hasn't exactly been the, their best player um, for most of this streak. Um, and so now they're 10-5-3. and three. Uh, They're third in the Pacific Division. Um, granted, they've played in 18 games, which is 
slight like I think oh no I guess the Red Wings and the uh, Maple Leafs have played in more games and in, in the Canadians but um, but that's still a lot of games so granted you have to take that into effect but there's still like uh, the Edmonton Oilers have 26 points the Calgary Flames have 25 points the NIM Ducks have 23 points so they're, they're still in the mix there uh, Vegas um, is catching up there with that. Uh, they just got Max, Mark Stone up, and they have 22 points. We'll get into the Kings and the Sharks in a bit, but um, but yeah, it's I I just want to uh, I initially wanted to shout out that like the Ducks are going to be the are are this like good team and um, they're kind of like re- reminiscent of like the Minnesota Wild of last year where they had a bunch of like you know Kaprizov. Yes, he was a big reason why they were able to get that far. But then there's other aspects of, of like Kevin Fiala, uh, Victor Rask, um, Matt Dumba, uh, Jared Spurgeon. Uh, like uh, there's just a bunch. Joel Erickson Eck. Uh, there's just a bunch of different players on Minnesota where you're like, oh, they're actually a good team, even though we thought that they were going to be rebuilding. But now I, I could see the NIM Ducks being in the mix for the, this whole time. Um, they may not make the playoffs, and we'll get into that again. But uh, they, uh, they've just been uh, really, really good. Um, it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, and I've watched all their games, too, which is um, also kind of crazy, too. Um, and it, to the point where they, uh, they lost six straight. Um, and there was, like, a couple of those games where... Oh, sorry, Steve. I know I'm rambling, but <laughs> I'll get okay. I'll get to you in a second. But there was a couple of games where I I'm sure you were us. Uh, I I would write to Steve saying like I can't believe like the Ducks are going to win this game or they're so close to winning this game, yeah. and then uh, something just happened. I I guess that this uh, winning streak happened in in uh, Halloween. When they just started winning all these games, they they beat Montreal, New Jersey, Arizona. Yeah, those teams aren't exactly great. So it's like, okay, they, of course they can beat those teams. But then it's you like... You gotta start somewhere, though. Yeah, exactly. And then they beat St. Louis, um, which is a pretty good team. Uh, Vancouver, which is struggling. They beat Seattle, which is also struggling. They beat Vancouver again. And then it's like... Okay, so a lot of those teams that they beat are bad teams or, you know, average teams for New Jersey and Montreal's case. But then it's like they were able to beat St. Louis. They were able to beat Washington. It, um, and then they finally lost to Carolina. But they were in it for the whole entire time. Um, and it's like they almost did beat it, uh, beat Carolina. Um, they just, you know, they, they just didn't. It was just like the luck of the draw kind of thing. Um, so it's like this, this Ducks team, and I've watched all their games, um, they have managed to, um, you know, have some fight in, in them that I don't think we saw at all last year. Um, and they're just a s- super exciting team now. Um, and that's crazy. So, um, I will get into Troy Terry in a second, but I do want to get your thoughts on the Ducks to start. Well, to start, um, before the season started, I put a big, fat, hard no on the Ducks to do anything this year. 
Like, I figured the expansion Seattle Kraken would be good enough to be a playoff team, and I had the Ducks, like, right at the bottom of the standings. And it's it's a fair assumption to make based on what we've seen the past few years. The past few years, their offense was dreadful. They relied on John Gibson way too much. And in the second half, they crumbled like a cheap tank. Like, couldn't do anything, got manhandled by most of the teams that they played. And this year, with the same coaching staff, for the most part, for the most part, also with the same players, uh, Josh Manson on an expiring contract, Ricard Raquel on an expiring contract, and they necessarily haven't really carried the load for the Ducks this year. And yet the Ducks are one of the best teams uh, in the entire NHL. Right now they're eighth with a 10-5-3 record, so that gives them third in the Pacific Division right now behind Edmonton and Calgary. What really caught my eye and felt like, okay, it's time to talk about this team, is the goals for. Yep. They have 61 goals, which is fourth in the league. Like, that, that to me is crazy when you consider, again, how bad their offense is. Their power play percentage, also impressive, 26.8%. Again, fourth best in the league. Oh, their penalty kill, it's probably not up to snuff. Wrong. Seventh best in the league, 86.7%. And even though their shots against per game uh, is still uh, higher than their shots on goal per game, their shots on goal per game, uh, honestly, it it's uh, around middle of the pack. It, I wouldn't say it's overpowered teams uh certainly not the level the bruins are the first uh place team uh, in that category is the bruins at 36 shots the ducks are like um 18th in the league with 31.4 per game but the fact that they're able to get the most out of their offense is the bottom line here is they're getting contributions from guys like kevin shattenkirk who's having a bounce back year ryan getzlap is having a bounce back year uh, Cam Fowler has looked pretty good as well. And as we'll mention when we talk about Troy Terry in particular, Tr- Troy Terry is 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 just something else. He's kind of reminding me of Eric Stahl in his earlier years with Carolina, where everyone was just thinking, you know what, this guy's going to come around eventually. It hasn't happened in the first year or so, but eventually he's going to catch fire and everyone's going to be like, Man, this guy's pretty good. Yep. And Troy Terry appears to be having one of those seasons, and, and we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. When I, when I look at power play and, and special team statistics, uh, I mostly look at power play time because that is mostly indicative of, okay, how much ice time um, is the penalty kill unit uh, facing? How much time is uh, the power play unit uh, facing? The Ducks are six in power play time on ice. Uh, with uh, 91 minutes, 59 seconds logged in 18 games. So that's 56 power play opportunities. That puts them eighth in the league in that category. And in terms of power play goals for, only the Edmonton Oilers have more power play goals than the NI Ducks. The Ducks have 15, the Oilers have 21. It should be noted the Oilers have McDavid and Dreisaitl, who are arguably the best players in the league at the moment. Um, I know McKinnon and Crosby are obviously in that department, but in if like name a better one-two punch right now than Dreisaitl and McDavid, you can't. 
Like, yep. they're they're in the prime of their careers right now. They're tough to contain. They're impossible to contain on the power play. And yet the young and offensively talented Anaheim Ducks all of a sudden are breathing down their necks in power play goals. Like, I, I, I couldn't uh, stare at you right in the face this season and tell you, oh, yeah, they definitely do that this year. They definitely right. would. Now, in terms of shorthanded ice time, this is also key. The Ducks have been shorthanded 72 minutes and 53 seconds in 18 games. That is one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh, uh, seventh lowest shorthanded ice time. So that tells me, okay, this team's also pretty disciplined. They're bottom 10 in terms of time shorthanded, 45 uh, opportunities. They've uh, had to go to the penalty kill. The team with the highest uh, shorthanded opportunities is Carolina with 66. And Carolina's like 13-2 and two or something. They're a very good team. Yeah. And then when you look at uh, shorthanded goal uh, or power play goals against, rather, uh, the Anaheim Ducks are have given up six power play goals, which is uh, near the bottom. Only Pittsburgh uh, has given up uh, fewer, and I think San Jose's also given up six. Toronto and Edmonton as well. So their their penalty kill is not only very efficient at killing penalties, but also pretty disciplined. Those are the two areas when I look at sustainability. The sustainability of a winning formula that tells me a lot in terms of in a couple of months from now where's this team going to be special teams are going to be a very key factor however i would also like to point out that the san jose sharks this year and even last year have been pretty good on the penalty kill and they still missed the playoffs last year and are probably not looking too good at making the playoffs this year as well so it's not necessarily the be-all, end-all special team success, but it's definitely a good indication as to where the Ducks are because special teams-wise, they didn't really impress me last year, and it's probably a big part of the reason why um, they missed the, the postseason boat for uh, the last handful of seasons. Yep. If you fall behind the eight ball in the special teams battle, it's very tough to – dig yourselves out of holes and get yourself back into winning positions in hockey games, game in and game out. So those two areas right there, the ducks are excelling in those. That's a very positive sign moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's interesting too, because I've been watching them uh, like, you know, late last year too. And now that I'm watching them now, it feels like I'm watching a different team pretty much like, cause they were struggling to score um, and their defense was horrendous, um, you know, last year. But now it's like, I don't know what Dallas Eakins did. Um, I wanted him fired. Um, and um, and all of a sudden now it's, it seems like he's like the front runner for the Jack Adams this year. Because uh, it, it, it seems like uh, he's gotten this Ducks team to, um, to you know, be more defensive. And yeah, they, they've been scoring a lot too. So it's, it's like uh, they're not as um crazy i think what's also interesting too is um i've I've, i don't know for sure maybe you have the stats on this steve but um what's interesting too is like because i've been watching most of these games i've noticed that the ducks shots aren't um like they're always like on the low end of things like um i'm not sure how many shots on average they have per game 
Maybe I'll look that up. Yeah, it's, it's around 31 or 32, okay. so the middle of the pack. Oh, that, that that's like decent, Bruins, though. The Bruins with the engine are first with 36. Per got year. it, got it. Okay. So that's that's actually decent. But I, I remember, like, early on in the season, they were, like, being outshot by a bunch of these teams, and then they just got ended up getting, um, you know, I, I guess eventually they just started figuring it out. But it is impressive considering the fact that They've been able to score so much without, like, having a ton of shots on goal. But I guess I, I, I am proven otherwise now when, uh, when I know this, that they have about 30 shots per game. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Um, so, now we'll the talk one about... one thing I will also say that could be a weak point for them is giveaways. They're, like, top five in giveaways with 182. That eventually yeah. will come back to bite you. The good news is they're also fourth in the league in block shots, so they're not afraid to sacrifice the body to make plays uh, to keep potential goals from going in the back of their net, which is good. Um, I think over time that's something they need to improve on because we've seen it with uh, teams like the Rangers and the Sharks in the past where it didn't really affect them all that much. But over time, it's really caught up with them and maybe been a hindrance as to, like, how good those teams can be. Right. Um, so moving forward, the Ducks will have to iron those out. But again, they're a young team. The core has aged quite a bit, and they still rely a fair amount on John Gibson. So, like, you can only do so much with that group. Yeah. Um, so I, I think overall they're definitely heading in the right direction, but – Moving forward, you know, when you're starting to get to the level where you're expected to win every single year, uh, the giveaway issues are going to have to go away. They're they're going to have to improve on that. And I, I think, like, a part of the reason why they have been so good on the defensive side of things is they have Josh Manson playing all these games. Mm -hmm. uh, they have uh, Hampus Lindholm playing all these games. Um uh, even like ha Adam Henrique is decent on the defensive side of things. Cam Fowler is also on there. Isaac Lundestrom has been pretty good on the defensive side of things as well. So it's like they've, they've um, yeah, they didn't do much in the offseason, but like just getting Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm healthy is a huge win for them. So um, so that may, may have something to do with it as well. Um so I, I did want to talk about some of the players on the team right now. Uh, the hottest player in the league right now is actually on the Ducks. Uh, not named Connor McDavid, of course, but Troy Terry has been um, pretty, uh, pretty good. You could make an argument that he is actually the hottest player in the league. Uh, he has a 16-game point streak. 16-game um, point streak. Um, uh, where he has 22 points in 17 games, um, and uh, what's 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 crazy is uh, 12 of those are goals. Um, Steve alluded to this a little bit when he talked about it, but like um, we all kind of thought that Troy Terry was going to be a good NHL player. Um, it was just a matter of when that was going to happen. Um, he like he really lit it up in uh, the World Juniors a few years ago. Um, and then, um, but what was interesting is, is this, what, this has been his fifth year in the league. Um, and in the previous seasons, um, he had seven point, seven goals in a season last year. 
and then and now he has 12 goals in the season. So that that was his uh, his career best was seven goals last year. Now he has 12 goals now. He's, he's already surpassed his career yes. high in goals uh, and points. In, and in he's 17 like games. four away from doing the same in the yeah. assist department. Yeah. And we're not even in December yet. And, and yeah, so he, it took him 48 games to get to seven goals. Um, and now it took him 17 games to get to 12 goals. So, so he's on a pretty good pace uh, right now for obvious reasons. Um, it is incredible that he has like transformed into like this type of player, um, and that probably has a lot to do with the fact that Ryan Getzlav, who's the next point getter right now, um, he has uh, 19 points. Of course, 18 of those 19 points are assists. He does have one goal though, um, but like Ryan Getzlav is is incredible in his own way. He just got his thousandth point. It's also impressive that uh, the fact that um, he's done this all on the Anaheim Ducks. He didn't change teams. He didn't do anything. But um, but I think a lot of the reason why Troy Terry has been so good is because he's on a line with Ryan Getzlaff. And Ryan Getzlaff has just been re-energized and been like able to you know help out with all the youth that are happening. Josh, not just Troy Terry, Trevor Zegers, Isaac Lundestrom, Sonny Milano, uh, there's Jamie Drysdale as well. So it's like, this is a pretty, pretty young team, which is um, pretty good if you're a Ducks team, uh, Ducks fan. Because, like, it's not just that, like, yeah, the, there's, a, there's a pretty good chance that this hot streak won't continue. But, like, next year, you're going to, you know, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of really, really good young players on this team. Um. And then the third guy uh, who has the points here is uh, fifteen. Po- who has fifteen points in eighteen games, and that's Adam Henrique. Um, he's another one who feels like he's just been re-energized in this, uh, um, you know, with all these young guys and stuff like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't think he's on the same line. Oh no, he might be on the same line as Ryan Getzlaff and Adam Henrique. Um, but. Uh, sorry, as uh, Troy Terry and Ryan Getzlav. Um, so, so yeah, uh, so those are the top three point getters. I do want to take a shout-out to Kevin Shattenkirk and Cam Fowler. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk has kind of had a bounce-back season. 14 points in 18 games. He's uh, He's been pretty good for four goals. Um, of You know, four of those 14 points were goals. Uh, Cam Fowler's kind of also has 10 assists. But three goals, so 13 points in 18 games. Um, you know, I, I think both Kevin Shattenkirk and Cam Fowler were one of the be- like better defensemen, offensive defensemen. Um, and they just, you know, for whatever reason, they just stopped being that due to injuries or just being on different teams. Well, for Kevin Shattenkirk's case, just being on different teams. But, um, but yeah, it does seem like they have a good resurgence here um, and they have a good thing going. Um, yeah, so so there's uh, two of them. Um, I did mention that uh, Trevor Zegers. Um, I I've been mostly paying a lot of attention to him just because he's on my fantasy team. He's my favorite non Bruins player as well, um, and I you know I enjoyed watching him out in Boston University. He's you know he's not been as good as Lucas Raymond has been, um, who's going to probably win the Calder this year, but. 10 points in 16 games. 
Um, he did have two goals um, and one assist in the uh, in two games, though. Uh, one of them was like an OT winner, um, and um, it just feels like you know sometimes I feel like he's trying too hard, and he's just uh, you know he's trying to be like too too creative and things like that. However, just the fact that the Ducks are winning, um, it's like it, it kind of takes the pressure off of Zegers where he, he isn't expected to be the guy, um, even though, you know, when I was thinking, like, okay, if the Ducks are going to be successful this year, it's going to be because Trevor Zegers is, like, the, the, the biggest thing in the world, and he's actually going to be their best player. And then you have Ricard Raquel and Maxime Comtois. But actually, it's really just Troy Terry, Ryan Getzlav, um, Shannon Kirk, and Cam Fowler, um, and then, um, you know, I guess other people have uh, kind of gone in the mix, of course, John Gibson as well, but um, which we'll get into in a second. But it, it is kind of surprising to me that, like, Zegris, Comtois, and Raquel haven't necessarily been um, as effective as we thought they would be um, if you were to tell me that the Ducks were going to be one of the better teams this year at this point. I would have thought that it was because of those three players, but no, it's it's because of all the other t- players, which is just good good to to see. And you can imagine what's going to happen when uh, Ricard Raquel gets back and returns. I think it's close, um, and then um, and uh, Maxime Contois has a wrist surgery, and it's supposedly he's going to be is going to be out for six weeks. Um, so I will be curious to see, like, okay, once you add, once you get Zegris going, once you get Raquel going again, and Comtois going again, then this team is might be a force to be reckoned with. Mm. Just uh, looking at Troy Terry yeah. for a second and a stat line. Like you said, Brett, 16-game point streak. The only time he went pointless was the season opener, and he played eight. 35 got no shots was a minus one against the winnipeg jets yeah and since then he, he he's been a he's been an unstoppable force uh, he start, starts it off with a pair of two assist games then he's got a two-game goal streak then he goes on a four-game goal streak uh after that mini streak was broken then uh, that goal streak is broken then he scores in three straight games then he goes goalless in two straight games, and then in his most recent game against Carolina, he gets a goal. What's uh, impressive for Troy Terry in particular is you look at his goals per game. His best one was this past year was seven and forty-eight games. That's zero point one five goals per game. Yeah. It's zero point seven one to start the year. Yeah. He's got twelve goals in seventeen games. He's on pace for 106 points, which is ridiculous. Um, he's averaged um, 2.52 shots per game, which when you multiply that uh, by 82, that's on pace for 207 shots um, over the season. His shooting percentage is a ridiculous 27.9% right now. And he's averaging 17.29 per game, just over two minutes on the power play. And, and like I said, career numbers across the board already. It, the meteoric rise is insane. And it might look insane when you just look at his numbers with the Anaheim Ducks and how it stacks up uh, 
with the rest of his Anaheim Ducks teammates. But then you look at where he stacks up with the rest of the NHL, and it's absolutely crazy. Like, when you look at players that are expected to lead the league in scoring, how many did... How many pundits had Troy Terry in the top five scoring race heading into December? I certainly did it. Yep. I highly doubt anyone has. Nope. And yet he's fifth with 22 points in 17 games. Here are the guys ahead of him. Dreisaitl with a, just over a goal per game pace, 18 goals, 35 points in 17 games. Jude has nine goals and 14 points on the power play, five game winners. Averages 23 minutes of ice time per game. Oh, um, no big deal. And has won about 57% of his faceoffs. That's the leading scorer in the league. And then right behind him is Connor McDavid with 12 goals, 32 points in 17 games. He has 16 power play points, 68 shots, and averages 22-26 per game. You expect guys like Drysdale and McDavid to be up there. Alex Ovechkin at his age... Equally as impressive, 14 goals, 29 points in 18 games, 76 shots, averages over 21 minutes per game. You expect Ovechkin to be there. Kyle Connor, pretty good player, 22 points, 17 games, 12 goals. Same stat line as Troy Terry. And he's got like 79 shots, averages almost 21 minutes per game. Playing in front of that Winnipeg lineup, you expect... Kyle Connor to get a fair amount of points. And then right behind all of those guys is Troy Terry, who only has six power play points, three game winners, and only 43 shots in 17-29 of ice time. This guy is on the lightweight ducks yep. that are just trying to find ways to win hockey games, aren't really expected to do much of anything, and he's neck and neck with some of the best players in the whole league. Yep. It's absolutely crazy to think that Troy Terry could be this good. And, like, 60 to 80 points, yeah, sure. I definitely think Troy Terry can can play at that level. But he's not playing at that level. He's playing at 100-plus point pace yeah. and killing it with the best of them. It's, it's unbelievable the meteoric rise that uh, we've seen from this kid. And Trevor Zegers is probably going to have a similar meteoric rise. It might not happen right away. But imagine Trevor Zegers setting up Troy Terry on a nightly basis. Like, what a tandem that will be moving forward just to see those guys play. The Ducks have been waiting for this prolific 30 to 40 goal score since Bobby Ryan left. Yeah. And Ricard Raquel at times has fit that mold. But consistently, you look at Bobby Ryan's numbers with Perry and Getzlaff, and my God, yep. that guy was dynamite when he was on the Ducks. Yep. And they haven't had a goal scorer like Bobby Ryan. Troy Terry could be that guy. And on top of that, an efficient goal scorer like Raquel is. Yeah. Well, Raquel's going to be a UFA this year, so it, it does make it a little bit interesting now, or this, this mm-hmm. offseason. So I, I am curious to see, like, with the rise of Troy Terry, what's going to happen with Raquel's future um, in Anaheim. Um, it could very well be that, like, he's on the way out just because of how good Troy Terry has been. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think that Troy Terry is a good player, uh, obviously. Um, 
and and he's he's shown it so far this year. But I don't think he's going to be like this good where he's on the same level as Drysaitel and Kyle Connor and all those people. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up having like sixty points this year or seventy points even. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it is kind of crazy to think that like oh the Ducks all of a sudden have the superstar in the making and it's, and it's a guy that's not named Tre- Trevor Zegers who who we all thought was going to be the next big thing and it's very possible that Trevor Zegers could be the the you know we'll we'll get there eventually it's very very possible but um but not at the moment um okay so um I I guess I did kind of get a little bit ahead of myself there um but, uh, yeah, so Ryan Getzlaff has been pretty good, and Adam Henrik's been good. Uh, I do want to mention uh, John Gibson. Uh, he's 9-3-2 uh, with a 2.31 GAA. Um, his save percentage has been 926. This is uh, This is also kind of interesting just from the standpoint that, like, the last two years, John Gibson has had a sub-900 save percentage. Um and and now it's it's just like and and for years even back when he was good, uh, very good. It was always like John Gibson is the best player on the team, and then there's everyone else who's letting him down. But now he has guys that are helping him, as he uh, so he doesn't have to like take all the pressure and and be that guy. Um, I mean he he he's still been pretty good as a result. Um, with those stats, but um, but it is, uh, it, you know, just the fact that the Ducks are scoring, you know, can only help John Gibson uh, be who we um, who he was like a couple of years ago. Um, so I did you kind of. What's, what's also crazy is I'm I'm, I'm looking at the amount of goaltenders um, that have faced over 400 shots uh, so far this year, and. Uh, there are 11 of those names. And I'm just taking a look at how many Americans there are. Uh, Thatcher Demko ranks second in shots faced. Jack Campbell ranks third. John Gibson ranks fourth. All of those guys are American-born goaltenders. Oh, yeah. And um, the, the two that have really caught my eye, of course, are Campbell and Gibson. Um, John Gibson in particular, we talk about the first half surge. It's been especially apparent with Gibbs in the past couple of years. And as he goes, so do the Ducks. And um, the, the key test is going to be what happens when the competition gets better, what happens when we get to the second half. Yep. Strong starts haven't been a rarity for John Gibson. John Gibson always seems to have a knack for starting off well. Um, and, and this year is, is no different than that. He's uh, currently fourth in shots faced. With the 443 is actually tied with Shazurkin in that category, um, but I, I think in in terms of quality of shots faced, um, he's he's probably he's probably uh, had the knack for facing the most high da- high danger chances just based on the back end that the Ducks have, the fact that they're a young team, the fact that they give the puck away a lot. Uh, he's probably tested um, more often than he'd like to most nights. Yep. But he's risen to the challenge time and time again. So no doubt that uh, Gibson's going to have to be a big part of this team if they if they hope to keep this up. Yep. 
Um, so I kind of jumped the gun on this next question here, but what has been the most surprising? I did mark Troy Terry and his point streak. We've we've talked about that. I, I also wanted to mention uh, uh, Kevin Shannon Kirk. He's doing well. Um, and then I also wanted to talk about, but like mainly I, I was going to mention the fact that Zegris, um, Comtois, and Raquel, um, the last two are injured. Um, but like Zegris, you would expect, you know, if, if the Ducks are going to do well, it's going to be because of those three players um, at the start of the season. But, uh, but yeah, those, those guys, although Zegris has been good and Raquel, when he's been healthy, has been good as well. Um, you know, those, those aren't the reasons why they are winning. But that has been the reason for, for and I just went through it before, uh, what has been the most surprising thing for you? I, I, besides Troy Terry, I, I guess that's a given. <laughs> there are two players that have really surprised me, uh, given their workload in particular. Isaac Lindstrom is one of them. Yep. He has uh, 10 points in 18 games, only 20 shots on goal. So the fact that he has scored on three of them is pretty impressive. 15.01 is uh, the amount of ice time he averages uh, per game. And one of those uh, three goals is uh, shorthanded, so he doesn't even have a power play goal out of that bunch. So... Uh, given the workloads, um, I like Lundestrom's game so far. You look at young players stepping up, you want to see more from the unusual suspects. Like you expect Zegris and Terry and Comtois to be good, um, uh, and Jamie Drysdale in the back end as well. And obviously veterans like uh, Shattenkirk and uh, uh, Henrik, you expect um, them to pick it up because they've been in the league for a fair bit and they know the ropes more than the young guys do. But to see young guys like Lundestrom uh, picking up the slack is, is really great to see. Henrique, um, I don't know what happened in the World Hockey Championships uh, this past summer, but I think that really lit a fire under his behind and he's uh, really benefited from it. Um, so I, I wouldn't call it a surprise necessarily, but yeah. it's, it's a surprise when you consider how on the outside looking in he was last year, being healthy, scratched a couple of times. Uh, not not really um, sure what his future was on the team, personally, um, at various points of last year, given how things were going. Uh, but uh, he's really revitalized his career, which is great. And then uh, Sonny Milano, nine oh, yeah. points in 13 games, averages 14.52, only has 18 shots on the board, and even has a game winner to his credit, too, and a power play goal. So... Um, he's been a nice uh, little ad for them. Uh, like I said, the depth guys are contributing in, in big ways as well. It's not just uh, the usual suspects um, like the Troy Terry and the hot start that he's been on. There are <laughs> other guys when called upon that have really stepped up. Yeah, in a way, the, like everything about this Ducks team is surprising, except for Gibson and Getzlaff being pretty good. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, and and the other thing on Sonny Milano, he's actually gotten pretty good um, chemistry with Zegris. Um, however, it's interesting because the other line mate is Delorier, and Delorier has not looked that good. So it is interesting. I wonder what they're going to do in the future. Maybe they put Raquel once he's healthy on that line, or maybe they put in um, Comtois once he's healthy um, there, too, because... Delorier is not the guy. Um, anyways, um, 
But what do I know? I wanted Dallas Eakins fired. <laughs> um, at this, even before this whole thing. Uh, before the season. Um, anyway, so, so do, do you think that the Ducks will make the playoffs? I think it's 50-50 at the moment. I'm not ready to say yes, but before this year, like I said it was a hard no don't expect anything from them they're not going to do anything they're probably yeah. going to be in the hunt for a top 10 pick uh they're going to be in the running for the shane right sweepstakes and you know what i don't think they're going to be as bad as i thought they were that yeah. much i will say um i'd like to see how they do in the second half how they fare against some of the tougher teams in the league before i start to formulate um more accurate and firm prediction as accurate as i can be but i still think it's too early to say they're going to make the playoffs especially when you consider that Vegas is starting to get hot and you're not really sure what to expect uh, with all the other teams. Um, I, I, I still think Seattle has a chance to do something. I don't really know if they're a playoff team, but um, yeah. I don't think they're as bad as the stats indicate. So um, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say the Ducks are a playoff team. However, they have definitely changed my opinion on – their future and how good they could be. I, th- I definitely think this start has made me think differently of how soon they could be a playoff team. Yeah. Um, again, not sure if it's this year, but it definitely their odds of making the playoffs look more optimistic based on what I've seen the first six or eight weeks. Yeah. I, um, so I, I guess this kind of goes with all three of these teams that we're about, to, uh, the other two California teams that we're about to talk about. But, um, mm-hmm. Like, Edmonton's been, like, you know, the hottest team in that division. Calgary, we talked about them last week. They've been pretty good, too. Um, It's, like, I think Vegas will probably pick it up, especially once Matt Pacioretty comes back. They have Mark Stone in the mix as well. They've been doing well even without, you know, Jack Eichel and all those three players, so they should be okay, but... I don't know. I feel like Vancouver and Seattle are a tire fire, um, and you don't know about Vegas, and Ca- and Calgary could uh, slip away as well. So, like, now that I don't think Seattle's going to make the playoffs, they, uh, I don't know what's going on with Grubauer, but it, it, it's just uh, he's not what he was once was. He's really Martin jo- Jonesing the things. Um, but... Um, but yeah, it's so so I think that third spot is anyone's game. Um and also, like I think we may have misunder uh represented what the Pacific like how bad the Pacific division was going to be because I think like, you know, at the start of the season and I'm I'm guilty of this too was I was thinking like, okay, it's Edmonton and Vegas and then the rest of the teams are going to be you know it's just a free-for-all and like to the point where like the the two wild cards are going to come in the central but meanwhile like i think the pacific actually has the best record of like uh against the other divisions um compared to all the other (laughs) divisions so so the, the the pacific division has actually been pretty strong even though they have a team like uh vancouver and seattle which are really really struggling right now um but they could pick it up too um but 
Um, so so I, I think the Ducks will make the playoffs, but I'm going to guess that they're going to be a wild card team um, and not be that third the third team. I'm guessing at best they would be the third ranked team in the um, Pacific at best. Yeah, at best at the, uh, the third ranked team. But I, I think Vegas will figure it out. Um, yeah. And I think Calgary will remain the same. Of course, I, I think I think we can just write in Edmonton is in the playoffs unless something crazy happens. Yeah, they'll be a solid yeah. one or, or a decent two at yeah. first. Yeah. I don't see them falling in. You're right, right. Um, okay. Uh, so now we go to the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, they are currently um, in fifth place in the Pacific Division. They also had a winning streak in their own right. Uh, they had a seven-game winning streak, but they um, they ended up losing to, I believe it was the, the Capitals, and that is correct. Um, what's interesting about when you look at their schedule, they're, they kind of had, they did have a um, six-game losing streak to start the season. Uh, they did beat Vegas to start, but then after that, they went on a six-game losing streak. Then they went on a seven-game winning streak, and then they've lost their last three. So that makes it um, they were um, they just they've just been a team of streaks where it's like good streaks and then bad streaks. Um, but they are eight, seven, and two, um, and and so there's that. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, they've they've looked pretty good. I um, what. What was, what's interesting about them before I get into the point, um, their their points and their stats and stuff, um, was that like you know where, um, you know you kind of like they they kind of seem like they have like the best farm team, um, and I I was thinking if the Kings are going to do well, it's going to be because Quinn and Byfield, um made his debut and, and has been the guy that we all thought he was going to be. Um, and then uh, Alex Turcott was going to make their debut. But uh, Byfield's been injured, and Turcott hasn't made an appearance just yet. Um, Kaliev, who I am going to talk about eventually, but he's been pretty good too, um, are, you know, like, have been pretty good. Um, but then if you look at the point getters for the Kings right now, uh, Kopitar is leading um, the uh, this player stats um, in with 17 points in 17 games. Alex Ayafalo has 13 points in 17 games, and then you have Adrian Kempe, who has 11 points in 17 games. Um, what's also kind of interesting too, and we talked about this as well, is that Drew Doughty, um, he's been out for for a while now. Um, and once I heard that, you would you would kind of expect that okay, the Kings are just going to go fall back to earth um, and not be as good as we thought they would be. Um, but they enter in uh, Kale Clegg, who has five assists in ten games, um, and he's kind of racked up the points there. Um, and oh, I did mention Kaliev, uh, but I, I <laughs> when I looked at his stats, it's like it's not too impressive five points in 16 games, but he's, he has that in 12, uh, minutes of ice time per game. So that's, that's decent amount. Um, I will talk about a couple of the other players, but 
I think for the Kings, what, what is more impressive is Jonathan Quick, which we'll get into in a second, but I do want to give you um, a moment to talk about the Kings and what your impressions are of them this early on. So what's interesting about the Kings is when you look at their shots on goal per game, and I don't know about the quality of shots, but they are currently fourth in the league with 34.8 shots on goal per game. And uh, 29.9 is their average uh, shots against per game. And uh, that is the seventh lowest in the NHL currently, which is pretty good. Unlike... uh, the Ducks, um, the Kings aren't really good in the special teams department. Uh, their power play is ranked 23rd, 16.7%. Penalty kills even worse at 76.7%. That's 26 uh, out of 32 teams uh, in the league. And uh, their goal differential is plus one, 45 goals for and uh, 44 goals against. Uh, so that leads me to believe that uh, for the most part, they've had to play some uh, pretty tight games. And for comparison, a team like Tampa Bay, they have uh, 49 goals for and 47 goals against, but they're 9-4-3. and three. That's a lot different from a team like the Kings, who uh, presently are, um, I lost them for a bit, okay, 8-7-2 and two is their current record. Um so overall, I, I, I like where um, their game is at in terms of generating shots, but where are the shots coming from? Are they coming from the blue line and nobody's screening in front of the net? Or are they actually high-danger chances like a team like Tampa Bay would get? And that's where I look at their lineup and say, does this team really have the firepower to go at it with the best teams, generate good results, and get wins on the board? And the way I've seen it with the young guys in Anaheim, there's definitely room for hope um, that the Ducks can make something happen. I don't really feel the same level of comfort uh, with the Kings, and we'll talk a bit about uh, that later. In terms of getting off to hot starts, let's see where the Kings uh, rank uh, in that department. Oh, um, they actually have uh, 10 goals for in the first period. That's uh, near the very bottom of the league. Um, the goal scoring starts to pick up in the second period, which is uh, which is pretty good. Um, and then uh, in in the third period, uh, they're 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 probably like middle of the pack. They're outscored nineteen to seventeen uh, in the final frame. Um, so the, the, this group overall, I I would say they're they're a tough one to read just because of. The mixture of youth and leadership, uh, veteran leadership, uh, and veterans on the team in particular. Obviously, you have Kopitar, who, who's, I don't know how he does it, but yeah. uh, he continues to put up points regardless of circumstance. Uh, Drew Doughty, um, at times, hasn't looked like his old self, but he's still got a fair bit of good hockey left in him. Um, you also have a guy like Victor Arvidsson, who's been making the most of his situation. Uh, Philip Deneau has had um, a good stretch of moments. But I just feel like they, most of those players tend to go on some of those hot streaks. And then other times it's just like average or it's cooled off completely. So that'll be definitely uh, something uh, to monitor moving forward. In terms of giveaways, takeaways, 
uh, looking at where the kings uh, rank in in that department, uh, that can be a telltale sign as to the makeup of their team. 103 giveaways, which is actually near the bottom of the league, but uh, like most defensive-minded teams, that means they don't really have too many takeaways. And it's the case with the Kings. They have 81 takeaways, which is tied for second to last with Minnesota. The only team that has fewer takeaways is the Dallas Stars. And um, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, L.A. and Dallas are kind of near the bottom of the teams. Maybe Minnesota would be there, too, if not for a guy named Kirill Kaprizov helping them out offensively. Um, In terms of pet kill and power play time this is something brett said that um i mentioned with anaheim that was uh, a positive for them in terms of shorthanded ice time the la kings uh for the time being at the time we're recording uh, this podcast uh if i can find them oh yeah they're right near the bottom so similar with anaheim they don't spend too much time shorthanded uh, 65 minutes, 41 seconds in 17 games. That's um, that's the fourth lowest uh, shorthanded ice time uh, in the league. Uh, 43 shorthanded chances, which is 28th. Uh, so that would be one, two, three, four, fifth uh, fewest time shorthanded. But um, out of those teams, um, they um, out of those five teams, the only other team. With double digits and power play goals against is Ottawa. They've played two or fewer games, have been wrecked by injuries, wrecked by COVID. Um, so in terms of shorthanded goals against, the Kings are near the top of the NHL leaderboard, so that's not very good. The good news is they're staying disciplined, but when they're taking penalties, their ability to kill them off hasn't really been uh, that impressive. So then we get to the power play time on ice, and wow. One of three teams in the NHL with 100 minutes of power play ice time, so that's good. They're getting lots of chances to score. They have uh, the third most chances with 60. And uh, like uh, the amount of power play goals against, they have uh, scored 10. Uh, so that's around the uh, middle of the pack, I'd say. So their special teams, I would categorize is good but not great. And I wouldn't say good enough to really give me enough hope to say yeah, they, they, they could uh, do some interesting things down the road. At the same time, they've gone up against teams like Toronto and made them look human. Like, this this Toronto team, up until uh, their recent loss against the Penguins, had lost, uh, had won, sorry, 10 of 11 games. And the one game they lost was against the Kings, and they got manhandled in that mm-hmm. game. Largely because the Kings picked them apart with good team play. Uh, so that definitely bodes well uh, for the youth movement. And in that game against Toronto, you saw guys like Trevor Moore that were kind of snake betting start to contribute. So I think moving forward, the young guys are really going to have to pick it up like uh, the Ducks young guys have been because um, in order for them to really strike fear into opponents, it can't be just the veterans carrying the load. And I feel like for the most part, it has been the case where the veterans have been asked to step up and deliver. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to go into the goaltending here. Uh, Jonathan Quick has been <laughs> even more impressive than John Gibson has been. Um, I wonder 
if both Quick and Gibson were just like, oh, the Olympics, where we get to go to the Olympics, let's um, actually up <laughs> our game, because there has to be some reason, because they have the same kind of trajectory, they're, they're both um, two of the best American goaltenders in the league, and they're just like, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, like, we all thought that they were past their prime, and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden, they're, they're doing it, they're doing well. Jonathan Quick is uh, 36 years old. I didn't realize he was that old. Um, but uh, he is 4-4-1. Four, four, he has a save percentage of 940 and a GAA of 1.88. Uh, you would think that that would mean that he would lead the league in GAA and save percentage at this point. But no, that's that goes to Jack Campbell in both categories. Um, so, so that might be the ironic... Uh, the irony of it all is that despite Gibson and Quick being very good this year, it's like uh, the U.S. goaltending will probably go to uh, Jack Campbell and Connor Hellebuck. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, he's been he's been very good. Um, what's what's interesting to him also, like uh, Gibson, um, is that the last few years he's had a sub nine hundred. Save percentage. Um, he did have a 904 save percentage in 2019 20 season, but um, you know, that's that's pretty much the same. That's basically a sub 900 save percentage, uh, to be technical about it. Um, what's interesting though is that Cal Peterson, who has been decent and he's kind of been their goaltender of the future for the Kings, uh, he he hasn't looked so good. Um, he is also four three and one, so so not he does have a winning record there, but he has a three point one two GAA and a save percentage of eight eight nine, so that's not great. Um, but I, I I do wonder if Quick can sustain this uh, for the entire season, or if Cal Peterson can keep it up, and I think that's going to be the biggest question for the Kings, because it it doesn't seem like they're getting the scoring that they need. Um, and, um, they're relying a ton on Jonathan Quick and, um, and that's kind of a scary thing, uh, to do when you are, you're relying on a 36 year old goaltender, um, who hasn't been good in quite a while. So, um, so I, I feel like that, that might be the biggest, uh, factor into the Kings. And if they, even if they do make the playoffs, that's always going to be a question mark. Um, but yeah, that, that has been kind of, um, a crazy thing is that, oh, Jonathan Quick, he's, he's actually, <laughs> he's having his best season so far. Of course, it's still young. The season's still young, but, um, but yeah, he's, he's been, he's been, uh, good this year. It should also be noted that Jonathan Quick is 4-4-1 four, four and one, and Cal Peterson is 4-3-1. and one. So while it's pretty obvious there's a better goals against average and the better save percentage, their records are pretty identical, which is kind of interesting because it, it seems like Hal Peterson seems to get a fair amount of goal support. Because right. when you look at a 3.12 GAA and an 8.89 save percentage, you're expecting a losing record. And yet he's got um, you know a slightly above 500 record. That's a lower save percentage than Aiden Hill, who is below 500 with the Sharks. Um, Thomas Grice is a better save percentage, and yet he's 4-6-0 with the Red Wings. Uh, Fleury, uh, defending Vezina Trophy winner, Marc-Andre Fleury, 
has a 901. He's 4-7-0 on Chicago. Jake Allen has a 905. He's 4-8-1 for the Habs. And they're, those are the those are a fair amount of pretty decent goaltenders uh, that have better save percentages than Cal Peterson, and yet they have below 500 records, whereas Cal Peterson is somehow 4-3-1. and one. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we go to what has been surprising. Um, I was, I'm going to, I have, well, I, I did mention that, uh, Quinton Byfield and, um, that he hasn't played just yet. I expect that he will be back and that will be exciting to see his first, his debut into the NHL when that happens. I, I think it's supposed to be, uh, in December, um, but, but who knows? Um, so that should be exciting. Uh, Turcotte hasn't made it, but I, I am surprised that even though they're, you know, they're not in a playoff position, but I'm surprised that they're able to at least win some games when they haven't necessarily like had a ton of high scoring games or, you know, a lot of players that are high scoring. And of course, Andre Kopitar is great. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, 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 uh, it is kind of surprising that they've been able to, be in the mix when they're not necessarily being all, you know, they're, they're scoring. Um, they've been struggling to score goals. Yeah. They're going to have to play the yeah. tight system of hockey. They're not expected to run and gun with teams and out, out mm-hmm. score them and out shoot them by a bunch. Um, and like get a bunch of power plays and convert. They just don't have that level of execution yet to be able to do that, yep. but they're getting chances to succeed, which is good. And in terms of keeping the puck out of the net, whether it's Jonathan Quick or, or the defense that's uh, doing the job, they've done a pretty decent job of, of keeping things even. So yeah. I think if they have a good team game, they'll put themselves in a in a decent position to win games at least. And that's yeah. and that's all you can ask for in, in a team that uh, is starting to get out of their rebuild and, and uh, just finding a ways uh, to, to be competitive again. This team hasn't been competitive for at least a couple of years. Right, right. Um, I do want to say that it is kind of cool that I, I just, just by looking at their roster now, it's, it is kind of, obviously it's unintentional, but they have a lot of guys who, whose first name starts with a Anze Kopitar, (laughs) Alex Ayafalo, Adrian Kempe, Alex Edler, Arthur Kaliev, Andreas Athanasiu. Um, you have two two double A's there, Alex, or no, no, sorry, I, uh, I, I follow is, is yeah, 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 it's, uh, <laughs> it's okay. You have AA and an AI, though. It's all right, I mean. yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, in terms of other surprises that I had was that Philip Deneau, he's uh, he's kind of like, there was a point in time when he was, like, he had a hat trick. Um, he's, you know, he's been known as just being the defensive forward guy. Um, he he does have nine points in 17 games, so he, he still is that defensive guy, but... I was impressed by the fact that, like, he has nine points in 17 games, and that's not something, like, even for a defensive forward like that, you, you don't expect that too much. And he's, like, the fourth leading scorer on the Kings, which I guess says more about the Kings than it does about Philip Deneau, but, um, but it is interesting that he's more known as, like, a shutdown center, and, um, and he's able to score at least a couple of points there. I find that impressive. Uh, the other two uh, players that I do want to shout out, um, Andreas Athanasiu, uh, he he was injured to start out the season, but since he's gotten back, 
He has five points in seven games. Um, he, he's been mostly known as like a guy who just like, he can score goals and shoot the puck. But, uh, the fact that like he can't play defense and, um, and, 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 and that's probably still the case. I haven't really watched the Kings games too often to really know if he's changed his game that way too. But, um, but of course that's like, um, it's kind of one of those underrated aspects where you'll see like, wait a second, five games, well, five points in seven games. Wow. That's crazy. Um, and then the other one I was going to mention, and I briefly mentioned him before, but Kale Clegg, um, when Drew Doughty was out, I was expecting like, okay, the, the Kings are probably not going to be as good as we thought they would be. Um, I didn't really have high expectations for the Kings to begin with, but, um, but I was just thinking like, whatever, uh, Kale Clegg, I thought Seattle would take end up taking Kale Clay because I thought he was going to be a pretty good player. Um, and so far, he has five assists, uh, no goals yet, but five assists in ten games. Um, and he's doing this with 17 minutes of ice time. That's pretty impressive for a player who's like this is his first ten games in the league. Um, and, um, so I, I am curious to see what they're going to do when Drew Doughty comes back because they kind of need another guy who can help out Drew Doughty, um, in the, in, on the defensive side of things. So, um, I, I, I think that's impressive too. Of course, Alex Edler, he has six assists, zero, no goals in 17 games. He provides some offense, um, to the, to the defensive core, but, uh, Kale Clegg seems like he he could be pretty good, um, and is one of those unheralded players that like all of a sudden you're gonna like maybe in a couple years we're gonna see like oh Kale Clegg he's actually like he's close to winning a Norris or something like that. Yeah, so there are three names I would like to shout out: um, Matt Roy, who is a defenseman, four assists in seventeen games. Alex Edler has more points, so why am I talking about him? He has 42 shots on goal and averages 21.40 per game. That's pretty good. He's seventh on the team in shots on goal. Uh, actually tied, as a matter of fact, for fifth uh, with uh, Philip Deneau and Victor Arvidsson. Uh, so Matt Roy has low-key been a pretty serviceable defenseman for them, and um, hopefully for Matt Roy and the Kings, that continues. Um, and and within that time, is a plus-minus of a zero on the dots. So... Uh, not too bad when you consider guys like Kopitar, a minus four. Adrian Kempe is a minus three. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like what uh, Matt Roy has brought to the table. That's definitely positive for them. Arthur Kalia, by the way, three goals, two assists, five points in 16 games. Might not really be that impressive. Mm -hmm. Here's what's impressive, though. He has two goals and one assist on the power play and 34 shots on goal. Judas averaged twelve twenty four per game. Yep. So to be so to be like eighth on the team in shots on goal, two power play goals, um, and five points in sixteen games, it doesn't look all that bad when you consider the amount of ice time that he's gotten. Once he starts to get that confidence from the coaching staff to play him in more of those everyday situations, I think you're really gonna see the numbers start to pile up for him, and that's very good. Trevor Moore, last but not least, two points in 17 games. Uh, that goal he scored against the Leafs um, when uh, they they kind of put a dent into, into Toronto's impressive run. That was his first goal of the season, first point of the season. Um, all of them have been at even strength so far, 
and he's averaged 13.08 per game, and yet he's ninth on the team in shots with 30. So in the amount of time that he's getting on the ice, he's trying his best to make the most out of it. Um, and those are the guys that I really like to monitor. The guys that, yeah, they're not really killing it on the score sheet. They're not really um, making teams take notice of their talent, their abilities. But they're there, they're out there to do a job, and they're making the most out of their opportunities when they get them. Uh, so hopefully uh, those three guys in particular get rewarded moving forward and become uh, key fixtures uh, of the Kings. Uh, mostly with Kaliev because they expect them to be a contributing factor in their offense. Right. Um, okay, so will they make the playoffs? Um, I'm going to... I think they're they're relying too much on Jonathan Quick at the moment. Um, and once... I, I feel like Jonathan Quick's going to come back to earth eventually. Um, and, and although like I love an American goaltender who's doing well... I, I don't think he's able to keep up a 940 save percentage. So I I think with that said, and and the fact that like now they're, um you know the the Golden Knights are coming back. Um, who knows what's going to happen with the Anaheim Ducks and the Calgary Flames? They've been better than expected. It's like I I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think it might be too tough for them, but. I will say that they won't be a top ten team in the draft this year. I, I think they'll they'll be better than we all expected them to be. Yeah, I would hope not, uh, because uh, otherwise they might have a chance at Shane Wright, and their prospect pool is yep. already nuts. So we right. don't want to give them too much ammo. Yeah, I'm, I'm just else, imagining um, that. Yeah, because it's they'll, like they'll be a future conference powerhouse in no time. That's the other thing too. Is like they they have Kopitar and Deneau already, who are good now centers. <laughs> they have Byfield and Turcott, who are both centers. So then if they get Shane Wright, it's like <laughs> they're gonna have a center issue. It's, it's just five centers somehow um yeah but that's huge that's yeah, huge the it would fact be huge. that you're listing off all those names and yep. some of them might have a higher ceiling than kopitar in a couple of years right like, man like you're, you're laughing if you're the kings yeah the even kings. if they don't get shane right yeah it would be uh yeah they'll still get a pretty good player exactly yeah, yeah. um i think in order for them to make the playoffs um the likes of alex turcott akil Thomas, quentin byfield will have to play um, big roles for that team. And we haven't seen enough of them at the NHL level to really determine that. So right now, with this roster, given the fact they've relied on their goaltending a lot, I, I don't think it's sustainable for uh, to be a playoff team, but you're right. I definitely think they'll be competitive. They'll be hovering around the 500 mark, and they won't be a bottom 10 uh, team in the NHL standings. They won't be contending for Shane Wright. But then again... There have been teams outside the bottom 10 that have won a lottery somehow and gotten first overall. That's so true. you never think they, they, they yeah. could have their cake and eat it too. You, you yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, all right, the Sharks. Uh, they are 8-8-1. Um, eight, eight and one. Um, They have 17 points in 17 games. Um, and they are 6th in the division. Uh, the only teams that are doing worse than them in the division are Vancouver and Seattle. Um, they they actually did start off strong, um, but uh, but then they they kind of hit a slide. Uh, they they won their first four games, um, then they lost three, then they won two, then they lost two, 
um, then, you know, then a mixture of all these different things. They recently lost to the Washington Capitals, and then they lost to the St. Louis Blues, which are, you know, both tough teams to play against. Um, so, so yeah, they're, um, you know, they're kind of sliding, but they're, they're not really, um, you know, I guess for all the California teams, it's like, you're not expecting too much out of this year. Um, I think what was surprising though, is that the fact that they had William Eklund, uh, for the first nine games, um, and he had four assists. He actually looked really, really good. He looked like, um, a pro player, like he looked like he, could, I mean, I don't know if he would have gotten the Calder or anything like that, but he looked like a top six player for the Sharks. Um, and then they send him down. I, um, he's now in the Swedish Hockey League for Drew Garden, and Drew Garden's even worse than the San Jose Sharks are right now. Um, and, um, yeah, so they send him down. He, he was apparently crying, and Thomas Hurtle and, um, um, I think, Couture, like, uh, encouraged him, or, like, were, um, were, like, hugged him, and were just making sure that he's okay and stuff, but, like, he was crying, and very, very upset that he wasn't going to, uh, stay in the NHL, but, um, but, yeah, I... That shows he cares, though. Yeah, it does show he cares. That care that much. Yeah, yeah. Like, Gary Price, when he was sent down the first time by Montreal, he was devastated. Yep. But you look at him a couple years after that fact, and he became one of the best goalies in the league. And I, I will say that for, you know, William Eklund is, uh, I need to remind everyone that William Eklund is 19 years old. He's also mm -hmm. 5'10 and 176 pounds. So, um, so at, even the, like, it's just impressive that he did look like he was one of the best skaters on the Sharks. Um, and he like, he's undersized and he doesn't have a ton of muscles. So it's like, now I'm wondering what, what is he capable of if he does pack on some muscle what what's he going to look like cuz he you know he was already pretty good um with without all that stuff so i think i think in the long term yeah i understand why he was upset about it and but like and our friend victor was upset about it as well but um i think so in the short term it sucks but in the long term i think it's it's going to help Eklund out so much more cuz now he knows like what the nhl is like and he can prepare for that even more than he, he did last year because, you know, now he has a taste of what the NHL is like. Um, and and this, this can only help him. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, Timo, uh, in terms of the point getters, the first three were, the first three point getters for the Sharks are uh, Timo Meyer, who has 15 points in 12 games, um, which I don't know if that's going to continue. Uh, I don't think, kind of like Troy Terry, although uh, Timo Meyer has more years under his belt and had, you know, he did have a 66 point uh, season in 78 games when he was 22 years old in the 2018-2019 season. Um, I don't think um, <laughs> uh, Timo Meyer's uh, over a point per game pl type player. Um, Certainly playing better than he was the past couple of years. That, that is true. We're definitely underperforming. Yeah, that is interesting too. He was one of those uh, 2015 player uh, draft players. He's one of those players. But the Bruins don't have to worry about that because he, um, he went ninth overall. So before the Bruins got to pick those three guys. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I do remember some 
like people saying like, oh, they like the Sharks could have drafted Matthew Barzal, Kyle Connor, that you know Thomas Shabbat, and all those guys because people were saying like, oh, you know Timo Meyer's not as good as those guys, which I guess is Timo fair. Is so good the Bruins. Yeah, three often, times. yeah, yeah. Thanks, um, but um, <laughs> I had to do it. No, I know, I know, it's fine. Um, I'm used to it at this point. Uh, but um, but yeah, the, like like th- that's kind of what people were saying about Timo Meyer was that like, oh, he's just been a disappointment, even though he had that one year where he, he was pretty, pretty good with a 66-point season in 78 games. So, so so it is impressive that he has 15 points in 12 games, and he's 25 years old, so he's still young, but I, I don't think he's a point over a point-per-game player. Um, anyways, other players that are, are doing well, uh, Logan Couture, he has 14 points in 16 games. Brent Burns is back, it seems. He has 12 points in 17 games. Um, I also want to shout out Thomas Hurdle, um, who has 11 points in 17 games. He has uh, He's tied for the most goals uh, with seven on the team. And I guess that actually leads into my surprise, which is Jonathan Dahlin. Um, but um, I'll <laughs> wait to hear from you about what your Sharks are. Uh, what you, uh, about the Sharks for you from you or you get your sense on the Sharks I can't speak so it's time to play a game of one of these things is not like the other one of these things just doesn't belong so team A the San Jose Sharks 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one record 44 goals for 49 goals against 19.2 percentage on the power play 87.5 percentage on the penalty kill have averaged 28.2 shots per game, surrendered 30.5 shots on average per game, and they've won 52.5% of their faceoffs. So that's Team A, the San Jose Sharks. Team B, and I'll ask you to guess it in a second, is 7-7-2, 44 goals for, same as the Sharks, 49 goals against, same as the Sharks, 18.2% success rate on the power play, a full percentage point lower than San Jose, 80% successful uh, on the penalty kill, which is 7.5% less successful than the Sharks, 28.5 shots for per game, that's 0.3 shots per game higher than San Jose, 32.9 shots against per game, which is 2.4 shots per game higher than the Sharks, and they have won 44% of the face-offs, which is 8.5% lower than the Sharks. Can you guess the mystery team, Brett? You got one guess. Um, uh, Rangers. I don't know. The Buffalo Sabres. Wow. Wow. Buffalo, as I'm sure a lot of people have heard, have traded away most of their key players. Yeah. The Sharks have it. The Sharks have an aging core of Logan Couture, Mark Edward Vlasic, Eric Carlson, Brent Burns. Prior to that, had Merton Jones until they bought him out, and now they have a tandem of Aiden Hill and James Reimer in net. I don't really feel confident with this Sharks team. Their penalty kill, sure, it's impressive, but guess what? It was also impressive the year before that and the year before that, and both of those teams missed the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The fact that they also average 28.2 shots per game, that's pretty low when you consider uh, where the other teams are at, but also when you consider, again, who's on their team. Right. And 
as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago with Evander Kane and the off-ice stuff there, he was one of their best players last year. Yep. And he's sitting on the bench because well, no one wants him around the rink. It's, yeah. He's, he's also suspended by the NHL because, you know, uh, he, he faked a vaccine card. Um, right. But even then, when he comes back, he's eligible to come back. I don't even know what his future is going to be. Uh, with the Sharks. So taking a look at uh, their goals by period, because maybe this will delve deeper a little bit into where their woes lie. Uh, So in the first period, they're decent. They're outscored 15 to 12. That's not too bad. Outscored 20 to 15 in the second period, and they outscore their opponents 16 to 14 in the third period. Okay, not catastrophically terrible, but I guess it could be better. Um, definitely need to have better starts uh, in the first period, I would say. Uh, in terms of wins leading after the first period, where do the Sharks rank in that department? They're 3-1-0 and when leading after the first period, which means 13 of the 17 games, they've either been tied or they've trailed. So they're not really getting any puck luck in, in that department either. That's uh, definitely noteworthy. In terms of the takeaway giveaway ratio, quickly looking at that now, I mentioned the Sharks had problems in that department, the giveaway department, uh, over the past couple of years. And um, they have the 10th most giveaways at the moment with 157. They were near like the tippity top of that list. So there's at least that. Um, but, I mean, you, you look at some of the other teams that have more giveaways than the Sharks, and they're near the bottom of the Chiefs right now. Montreal with the third most. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Ottawa, obviously. They've been uh, rammed by a lot of different things. Um, but still, San Jose is, is in the top ten in that category. That's not exactly what you would call a great statistic to own. But you know what? They have 155 takeaways, so that kind of makes up for it. That's fifth most in the league. But it, the fact that you're relying on your takeaways to make up for a giveaway, it's that kind of formula only leads to success for so many times. And, and that brings us to the penalty kill and power play time. Um, you notice that I'm talking about this a lot. So let's see where they are in terms of shorthanded ice time. They are a 20th in a shorthanded ice time phase. Uh, so 78 minutes, 48 seconds over 17 games. So that's near the bottom 10 league. That's good. That means the amount of times they're shorthanded are pretty low. So that's 48. That's uh, 19th out of 32 teams. So that's a good, that's a good um, scenario for the Sharks to be in. And uh, as I mentioned, um, their pen. I think it's been very good because, like I said, they've been pretty good at uh, not giving up too many power play goals. So that's why the penalty killing percentage uh, is pretty high. They're fairly disciplined and they keep the puck out of the net. So with all of that talent, you would think, okay, well, their power play time is probably going to be one of the top in the league. The problem for San Jose is they also haven't gotten too much time in the power play to work with. 76 minutes, 14 seconds of power play time in 17 games. That's 24th out of 32 NHL teams. So that's 47 power play opportunities. That's 23rd out of 32 teams. And of of that number, they have nine power play goals for. 
which is near the bottom 10. And that is why their power play is as low as it is. I think in terms of offense, they're not really good enough for me to take them seriously. They're not getting enough shots. They're not getting enough chances on the power play. They're not scoring when they do get power play chances. And in all situations, they're not scoring enough. They're they're not a team that I think is capable of grinding out victories uh, like, say, the Los Angeles Kings are. Um, they, they don't really have the two-way defensive responsibilities uh, that a Philip Deneau brings uh, on their team, helping them out. Yep. And I definitely think they have a bright future in some of their prospects, like William Eklund. We've talked a, a fair amount about him, and there are some guys in Myers like Noah Gregor uh, and John Leonard that uh, could be serviceable options for them down the road. But there's a lot Luckily. of what is and a lot of question marks, and of course their goaltending tandem is at the center of that. I don't really know if this team can go toe-to-toe with the best teams and prevail in those games. They might be able to keep it close and keep the score tight, but when you need that extra goal or two, I don't know if this team can provide that on a nightly basis. Um, On the other hand, uh, the goaltending has been pretty good, actually, um, or better than when they had Martin Jones, although Martin Jones has (laughs) been unbelievable, too. Um, I'm mostly talking about James Reimer. Um, uh, the Sharks' goaltending actually reminds me more of the Kings' uh, uh, situation, goaltending situation, because uh, James Reimer, um, he kind of has near the same statistics as Jonathan Quick does. Um, in fact, he's uh, James Reimer is fifth in uh, goals against average. He's also fourth in save percentage. Uh, he has a save percentage of 938. He has a one. 0.98 GAA. What's also interesting is uh, Jack Campbell, Jacob Markstrom, Jonathan Quick, James Reimer. Yes, they're all like the, and I guess Fred, Frederick Anderson is there too, but um, I'm talking about the first four I said. Uh, they all have a name that starts with J, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, so if you want to be a good goaltender, uh, name your kid J, uh, something with a J name. Um, don't, but, don't tell the parents of Jake Allen that, unfortunately, right, right. Out for them right now. <laughs> yeah. Or Jake Bennington, Jordan Bennington. Yeah. Um, actually there are a ton of goaltenders who have J's in their name because Jordan Bennington, Jake Allen is another one. I guess I can't think of other ones, but Jonathan Bernier, <laughs> Bernier. Yeah. I guess there's Jerry a lot of Johns. Yeah. Anyways, James Reimer. Yeah. Jacob Marston. I said I said Jacob Marston, but yes. Um but yes, um so James Reimer, he uh, as I mentioned, he has a 1.98 GAA, a save percentage of 938. Uh he also is 4-3 and 1 um to start. Um and then uh Eden Hill, which I I thought he was actually going to be decent for the San o- uh San Jose cuz he had a he had a pretty hot start or a second half um, when he was on Arizona last year, but um, and, and, and there's still potential that he could figure it out on his own. But uh, yeah, he went f- uh, four five and zero. He's four five and zero. 
Um, he has a GAA of 3.11, a save percentage of 890. Um, and so, so there's that as well. So um, I, I assume what's, what's interesting about James Reimer is kind of like John, Jonathan Quick, um, is that you know James Reimer hasn't been exactly great um, throughout you know the last couple of years, but now he's kind of like figured it out um, or just <laughs> taken it another level where he's just a different player that we're used to. Um, having said that, um, I don't think he it's going to be sustainable. Um, I I <laughs> me and Steve actually talked about this before. But what was interesting uh, about James Reimer last year was that Carolina had uh, an issue with goaltending um, in the playoffs, um, and they they it was against Tampa. Uh, there there were I think they were down to their last game as the elimination game. Nedeljkovic was put in. He was not doing it. He wasn't cutting it. Uh, then they put in Peter Mrazek, and he wasn't cutting it either. They could have put in James Reimer, but they didn't. And that just shows how much uh, Carolina just didn't like James Reimer. Um, and so so it is kind of cool to see that, like, oh, James Reimer, he still has something left in him. And it's, that's nice to see. But on the other hand, it's like, well, like, there was a reason why James Reimer... Uh, wasn't even trusted enough at that standpoint as well. So I am curious um, about like what what's going to happen to him. Is this sustainable and all that stuff? But um, but yeah, it, it, it's kind of cool to see at the same time that James Reimer is um, is good again. <laughs> I find it's kind of poetic justice because the first time San, uh, San Jose yeah. had James Reimer their team was during their cup run in 2016 where he was basically right. a spectator. And now he's back and putting up these uh, pretty decent numbers, although the record doesn't show a 4-3-1. and one. You would think with a GA under 2 and a save percentage near 940 that the record will be better, but ifs and buts, right? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the fact that he's, you know, in his in his 30s uh, putting off uh, these these stats is pretty good. And um, I think uh, down the line we'll we'll make him a pretty serviceable option uh, for a contender if it if it doesn't work out uh, in San Jose. Aiden Hill is the guy that I think really needs to emerge from this and be the starter. Um, again, there are a lot of ifs and buts in the minors too because there's also uh, Alex Melnichuk uh, in the system um, that maybe they think could be a good young goalie for them. Aiden Hill and the amount of uh, games that um, we've seen in Arizona, there have been times where he's looked a bit out of place, but there are times where he really takes control of the situation, becomes the goalie, as the main reason why his team uh, wins a hockey game. So I want to see that Aiden Hill, more of that Aiden Hill, and if they can get that, uh, then the Sharks are a team that uh, could cause fits and maybe contend for a wild card spot. Um, which we'll evaluate later. By the way, I will mention, though, the only other goaltender in the league with two assists this year is Frederick Anderson, and he's 11-2. and two. Aiden Hill is um, a guy, uh, the only, is one of two goalies with, uh, with two assists. There are a couple of goalies with one assist, the rest have zero, but 
he has two assists to his credit. And um, I, I think uh, that kind of dampens um, uh, that, that kind of like uplifts his path a little bit. Not by much, but I mean, the, the guy can pick up uh, the odd point here or there, which is um, pretty helpful to have. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. You know, when, when you're a team that's uh, starting to get goals. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, that's kind of cool, or a cool statistic there. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see. Um, and then, um, in terms of what has been the most surprising, uh, what has been most surprising, I was going to talk about James Reimer, but we just talked about him. Uh, Jonathan Dahlin, uh, Dahlin. Um, if you don't remember his name, uh, that's okay. Uh, but you may have remembered it if you were a listener way back in 2017, because yeah, I knew you were going there. <laughs> well, see, see, this is it's it was your fault because you mentioned uh, the 2015 Bruins stuff. I, I have to mention Jonathan Dolling here. Yeah. Um, he um, he was traded from Ottawa to Vancouver uh, for Alex Burrows, um, and at the time, this was seen as like a crazy trade from Pierre Dorian's side of things because uh, Jonathan Dolan was doing really, really well. He had a 44 points in 44 games uh, for this, uh, the, in the SHL. Um, and, you know, that that was a, a big thing. Like, you know, he's a top prospect. And then you get, like, Alex Burrows, who's way past his prime at that point, um, and you get nothing. Like, why would you, you know, why would you do that uh, to get Alex Burrows, of all players? Um and um, and then uh, so yeah, he goes to Vancouver. Uh, he doesn't really he doesn't ever play for Vancouver at all. But he does go to uh, he does play for the Utica Comics, which is the Vancouver AHL team. Um, and he had two points in two games when he was in Utica to start. Then he played in fifty games for Utica, um, where he had twenty nine points in fifty games, which is not bad. Um, then he gets traded from Vancouver to San Jose uh, for Linus Carlson, um, and um, and I don't think Linus Carlson's in the league anymore. I don't know, but uh, but anyways, uh, he goes. Uh, uh, Dolan actually goes back to Sweden uh, because I think his uh, team was about to be relegated, and he wanted to help that team out um, a lot. So. He went back to Sweden. He had 42 point, uh, sorry, 77 points in 51 games uh, when he comes back in 2019 to 20 season. Uh, then in the 2020 season uh, to 2021 season, so that's the pandemic year, he had 71 points in uh, 45 games. So that's really, really good. Um, so now he has uh, nine points in 16 games. What's more impressive is the fact that he has seven goals. Um, he's tied with Thomas Hurdle for most goals in the on the Sharks right now, um, and yeah, he and what's what's also crazy is the fact that he has 14 minutes of ice time, so he's not really getting prime deployment in that category. So yeah, he's been he's been really really good. Um, obviously, like you know, the the Senators are a different team now, the the Canucks are a different team now. Um, so I don't know what he would. If he was, if he would be able to do this, if he was on the Senators or if he was on the Canucks, but it is kind of cool to see like he's already had an interesting journey so far to make it into the NHL, and it's nice to see that he's he's doing well right now, um, 
even though it's like, you know, he's still relatively young. He's, I think, let me see, he's uh, 23 years old. So, yeah, so he's, he's not doing so badly there. Um, so that, that was one surprising guy. I also wanted to mention another Sen, um, Eric Carlson. Uh, he has eight points in 11 games. Um, I guess he's been injured for some of it, but I, every time I, I see... Think, I think it's COVID-related. Oh, it's COVID-related. Okay. That, that explains that. I was wondering why he's there. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, that's also another nice story because I was so used to seeing you know, Carlson being on the top of the points list um, every, every time, and it felt like he just all these injuries that he's had has worn him down throughout the years, and that's probably still the case. But then, like, now when I see him on the score sheet, I, I have this, like, special, like, tracker that, that tra- keeps track of all the goals that happen. And then whenever I see Eric Carlson, I get a little bit happy uh, because it's like, oh, Eric Carlson, I remember him. Uh, he used to be, like, one of the best players in the league um, and single-handedly eliminated the Bruins in the playoffs. So so it's nice to see that he has eight points in 11 games, um, and I, I look forward to seeing him back and I think and I'm kind of going back to uh this uh when we talk about the playoffs and stuff but um I don't have the Sharks in the playoffs right now but if Eric Carlson can get back to what we are used to seeing him or even like 80% of what we're used to seeing him the Sharks might be us like might be a team to watch out for in the second half of the year. Um, and same goes, same goes for Brent Burns. Um, so I, I think uh, Eric Carlson's actually like the true X factor on this team is like, if Eric Carlson can get going, um, then yeah, this, this is like uh, the Sharks could be a, a pretty good team. Here's the thing now. <laughs> Thomas Hartle is fourth in team scoring with 11 points in 17 games, and seven of those are goals. 51 yep. shots on goal, uh, three power play points, uh, six goals at even strength. He's a pending free agent. I think a lot of that possibility of them making the playoffs hinges on what happens with Thomas Hartle. That's if fair. he gets dealt that could kind of put a damper on their playoff chances for this year anyway. Um, to your point about Jonathan Dallin, the fact he's averaging 14 minutes and 9 seconds per game, has 31 shots, and has 7 goals in those 16 games and 9 points is pretty impressive when you consider that. Speaking of former Sens, let's talk about Ruro Spelsers for a second. Oh, yeah. He has 7 points in 17 games with 32 shots on goal, just one more than Jonathan Dallin. But he's averaged 15.51 per game, which is, let's see, uh, a minute 42 extra per game compared to Jonathan Dallin. So Dallin has been more opportunistic with his chances, which is which is good to see. But I like to see a bit more from Balsers. You also have depth guys like Mario Ferraro that have picked it up with seven points in 17 games. Alex Barabanov has been pretty good with seven points in 12 games. Uh, Cogliano and LeBanc have been decent, but I'd like to see a bit better from them, mostly from LeBanc. Uh, Cogliano's not the premier offensive forward, but I definitely think uh, LeBanc has a lot more to give. And even though he's not, you know, 
the playoff performer that we saw at the Pittsburgh Penguins, Nick Bonino has had a rough start to the year. Averaging 17 minutes per game, 24 shots, zeros across the board. No goals, no assists, no points in his first 17 games with the Sharks. There, there needs to be more contributions from some of their depth guys. And uh, those two big factors, the future of Hurdle and the performance of those depth guys, will often go a, a long way um, in determining how good a team is if they're playoff worthy. I think the Sharks will be competitive. They'll be in the they'll be in the hunt for the wild card race as we get into like the final six weeks of the season. But eventually, they're going to flame out and they'll miss the playoffs. I don't expect them to make. Yeah. Uh, do you have more, any more, I, I kind of skipped the question. Uh, do you have, what, what has surprised you about the Sharks or has, or do we already talk about everything else? I, I mostly mentioned um, more about um, the good uh, season that Dallas had so far. I would say Barrett Banoff has been a surprise. And if I had to go with a surprise disappointment, it would probably be Benino. Again, yeah. averaging that amount of ice time per game and getting 24 shots on goal, you would think one of them goes in or even gets at least an assist, but nothing to show for it over those 17 games. I, I'm i pretty sure Nick Benino, and Nick Benino knows that he's he's got more he's, he's got more positives to his, his game than that. Mm. And the points will start to come, but the first 17 games, yeah, just not not really much going his way. Uh, the other thing to note on the Sharks is that, uh, unlike the Ducks and the Kings, uh, they had a COVID outbreak too. So they had like mm-hmm. um, like two weeks where uh, they just didn't have a lot of uh, their starters on, on the team. Um, and although like, you know, John Leonard, uh, Ryan Merkley, um, and even like Nick Merkley um, were on, like, you know, were called up and, and, and did well, um, you know, it, it, it does make it tough when you have to play with a lot of your guys on COVID, as I'm sure Steve is aware as a Suns fan. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so that, that is another thing to consider. Um, yeah, so I, I also don't have the Sharks making the playoffs, but I think like the Kings, um, I, I don't think they will be in the top 10. Maybe, like worst case scenario, they'll be like 10th overall. Um on the draft, uh, but but yeah, I don't I don't think they're uh, they're gonna make the playoffs. Um, I think it's very tough for them to finish last in the division, mostly because or no, never mind. Uh, Arizona doesn't play in their division. Oh I yeah, yeah. Well, I thought you were gonna say because Seattle has it has has well, looked good. <laughs> and, at the rate Seattle and Vancouver are going, yeah. yeah. Then, there's still a chance they won't finish yeah, yeah. Um, dead last. It's true. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they'll be that bad. I, I think they'll be better than one of those games. Yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of it's interesting too because I feel like uh, all three of these teams used to be very very good to the point where it's like mm-hmm. you know I, I remember when the Bruins would make the California trip and I used to dread it because I knew that it was just three straight losses. Um, and, um, and it's, you know, and I feel like they rebuilt at the same time. And, um, and now even like nowadays, like this season where it's like, you're getting contributions from guys like Ryan Getzlaff and John Gibson, Adam Henrique on the ducks, you're getting contributions from Anze Kopitar and Jonathan Quick. 
on the kings. You're getting contributions from Contour. Um, although I guess there aren't too many veterans on the sharks. So it's like familiar faces uh, for all the... Or, and Brent Burns is another one uh, for the sharks. Yeah. Um, you're getting contributions from like a bunch of the old guys. But then you have like these new guys like Troy Terry, uh, Alex Iofalo, Adrian Kempe, um, Trevor Zegras even... Uh, Timo Meyer, you're getting like, and you, you know, even like Jonathan Quick and uh, John Gibson are back, um, and uh, so it's like, they're they're not as they're still not as strong as they once were, um, a few years ago, but like I, I think in a few years, uh, we could see like California being like the three most dangerous teams again, where it's like it's going to be scary whenever. Um, like a East Coast team goes to California because it's not <laughs> not a fun place to play uh, for the opponents. And yeah, I think, and also in terms of like the bigger scale in yep. terms of playoffs and revenue and stuff like that, like Kings, Ducks, Kings, yep. Sharks, uh, Sharks, Ducks, like any yep. matchup that has a California flavor to it, California versus California. Yep. That's, that's a matchup that ends up being a very memorable one. Like, yep. some of the Sharks-Kings series in particular, just filled with madness, and you never know what you were going to get most nights. Uh, but you knew you were probably going to be entertained uh, by at least one of the teams. Yep. Um, there, just a lot of back-and-forth action, a lot of animosity, um, just very heated rivalry matchups. And... Ma- those matchups had a lot of pride involved in them. I want to see those matchups get back to that level of intensity. Yep. Because I feel like the NHL is is thriving, um, similar to like when Montreal and Toronto are are both doing well in the Canadian markets. If you can get like the California draw in the playoffs as often as you did in the 2010s. I think for the NHL, you're in, you're in a very good position. So it, it would be great business-wise just to see these three teams uh, uh, in the mix and, and fighting for playoff spots and fighting for the Stanley Cup every April. Yeah, yeah, Well, what's interesting about that is you also have, like, Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid in the division, too. So it's like, <laughs> even, even still, it's like you have, like, the three California teams and then you have, like, the two biggest superstars in the league right now, um, mm-hmm. also in the division, too. Um, and also the other point I wanted to make was like, like I, I kind of, we kind of touched on it, but they're like all three of their farms teams are like very, very, very good. Uh, sharks, maybe not as much, but like, you know, I guess even for the sharks, Ryan Merkley is going to be pretty good. Uh, William Eklund's going to be pretty good. Um, but, uh, like for the Kings, you have Byfield, you have, um, uh, Brant Clark now, you have mm-hmm. uh, Turcotte now, Kaliev uh, is getting going. Um, and then for the Ducks, you have, yes, you have Zegris, who he's not even at his, like, pinnacle just yet. Uh, there's Zegris, Drysdale, we didn't really talk too much about him, but he's looked pretty good. Um, and then, like, uh, Sasha Pashujov, who we mentioned on the Ducks um, when we were doing a prospect review, um, he's, he's been pretty good for the Ducks. 
Uh, Jacob Perot has also Jacob had um, yep. a good season so far. Mason McTavish, although he's been sent back down to, I think he's now going back to uh, the WH, the OHL. But um, but yeah, he, he looked pretty good uh, for the first couple of games in Anaheim. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, their prospects are, all, all of these prospects are going to be pretty good players um, in a couple of years. Um, yeah, yeah in particular with the Kings, like they kind yeah. of have a trauma relief situation where yeah. it's like you have so many guys that could be NHL rock stars, but so few spots to put them right. in. So like there are going to be guys that um, aren't going to get a fair shake because there's so much talent and only so few places to put them. Yep. Yeah, but it's a good, good problem to have if you're the Kings because that's how good hockey teams are are built and, and sustained. Yeah. I know the, it hasn't resulted in Stanley Cup wins uh, in Toronto like it has with the Kings, but still. Right. Um, the, the, the Maple Leafs have iced a lot of good teams and they've been consistent threats to make the playoffs every single year. Yep. So at the very least for a hockey fan, you, you just want your teams to be competitive and you want your teams to win. Yeah, I, I think it like all of it to say is that like yeah, they're like all three of these teams like might make the playoffs this year, but like the the, the the best news if you're a fan of any of these teams is that like your prospect pool is like enviable for everyone. Take it from this Bruins fan who like <laughs> just has one prospect to look forward to. Um, there's it's just um, it's just like you know, they all three of them have a very bright future. Even if they don't make the playoffs this year, they're going to make the playoffs in in the future, um, and and potentially a win a cup, so um, or a couple of cups. Um, we'll see. But yeah, the the future is bright certainly in California. Um, the hockey hotbed that it used to be, um, it could be coming back. Um, all right, let's. Uh, so that's about it for us here. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and, um, and, uh, Facebook at, uh, for Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can follow, you can also subscribe to us wherever else you get your podcast, uh, Spotify, iTunes, um, yeah, wherever else you get your podcast. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 296 of the Lace Up Podcast.